Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others simply can't afford full-time Jewish day school. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. That's why I created Kita. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive online lessons each week through their Google Classroom and then participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. Children can enroll in the Chumash and Avi plan and study Chumash Shemot and Avi Shmuel, or in the Mishnah and Gemara plan, where we're learning Mishnah Brachot and Gemara Elu Metziot. If you'd like to give your child a leg up in his or her Jewish learning, now is a great time to join Kita, as our second semester begins on January 2nd. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org and fill out the form. That's Kita. K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. podcast about religious Zionism and modern orthodoxy and today we're going to do a Israel judicial review edition to try to make some sense of the reform Hamishpatit, the judicial reform uh, legislation ma'avak struggle that's going on in Israel and then try to understand some of the some of the things that are going on related to it within the religious Zionist community. I'm here with my good friend, Rav Johnny Salvin. Hello, Rav Johnny. How are you? I'm very, very well. But just to correct you again, it's not religious Zionist community, religious Zionist communities. <laughs> we'll get into that. Okay. Um, <laughs> we, we, to be discussed. Um, Rav Johnny, we haven't done your... Uh, we haven't actually told people what you do in like many episodes. We stopped doing that a long time ago. Is there something new that you want to share with us that you've, you've, you've taken on professionally? I mean, you always take on new things. Do you know things? Do you know things I know? No, I continue being the virtual rabbi and helping people, uh, men, women, and couples uh, with spiritual coaching, halachic consultations. I teach, I write, I edit, and uh, a little birdie told me you're going to be giving a course for Herzog Global this coming uh, this coming semester. I'm just saying. Oh yeah. What, what course would you happen to be giving? <laughs> I'm writing a course. Uh, exploring Rabbi Sachs' approach to teaching Tanakh. Wow, that sounds really exciting. So if you were a Tanakh teacher, if you were a Tanakh teacher and wanted to incorporate the teachings of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, you'd probably want to take that course, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I'm glad you suggested it. And we're also here with the <laughs> Rabbi Mali, Mali Brovsky. Hello, Rabbi Brovsky. How are you? How are you? Good. Uh, I'll ask you the same question. Is there something on your resume that you'd like to... Share with us that you, something new, or it's all the same old, same old. Yeah, say I guess it's probably same old, same old. But I would invite okay. people to read the tradition um, uh, edition on the Rav. I think it's um, got some pretty fascinating, interesting articles in there, and mm. they could listen to our podcast. I heard there's also a really over interesting there. podcast about yes, that. Yes, on, yeah. on the tradition um, podcast site. Okay, uh, my name is Ruben Spolter. Uh, I guess something new that I've done, I should apply to myself as well. Oh, I procrastinated today and did not finish writing my master's thesis. So I, I think we've, that, I can call that an accomplishment. 
It will, God willing, be done sometime in the very, very near future. Anyway, back to judicial reform. Molly, we have asked you to take the mantle of, in, I don't know, six minutes, what are they arguing about? Okay, I'll start with the premise that it's not just about judicial reform. And I think it's widely acknowledged in Israel that this isn't just about reforming the judicial system, but that was sort of a trigger to, that unleashed something much more broad-based in Israeli, in Israeli society. So obviously you're going to give your own perspective, but we thought uh, that with our listeners very often, many of our listeners are not in Israel and are sort of kind of following from afar and their eyes kind of glaze over and they're not entirely sure of what's going on and sort of, and also the tropes that are presented in the different sides of the media really don't give you a deep sense of what's actually going on. So Molly, what's actually going on in your perspective? What's the fight really all about? Okay, so the truth is, I, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't think we were going to phrase it as like, we're going to explain judicial reform, because I think, first of all, didn't we do a podcast about that? If anybody wants we to listen. We did discuss judicial reform, but it's yes. important to put Okay, the- no, so what, what I think we should discuss is the developments in the recent weeks, right? Like, meaning, since our last discussion, and I will also say, if people want to see my take on, before the recent weeks, they can read my Facebook post about, you know, the, what each side was arguing about then, but I think the reason that we should revisit it. Oh, that, by the way, that post got a lot of traction. That's what I'm when saying. Like I just was? wrote it like off the when off the cuff. When is post two coming out? When is the next? Right, post exactly. Out? So and people seem to appreciate it, which was made, what made me realize that I think that people are not getting a clear view of what's actually going on, and that's really why I think it is important to discuss. But I don't, I don't think we have to revisit the entire issue. I think we can start from kind of where we left off, like where we last left our. Well, you know, I, I would ask it this way. Since they, since the the right capitulated and they're negotiating and they're talking about judicial review and everyone says they're talking, why are they still protesting? Okay, good. So that's a great place to start, right? That's what I meant. Like, okay, you know, like uh, since we last left our friends, I forget remember the TV show where they would always say that. Like, maybe it was Batman. Last time on Batman, um, <laughs> what has happened? Right? Where are we? And if ostensibly, uh, as you said, like it seems like things are great. Um, Netanyahu said we're going to take a break for Pesach and then we're going to we're going to hammer out a solution. Uh, wonderful. Why does anybody have to pre- protest? Why did the right have a giant protest that they called Hafganah Hamilyon, right? Like the million person march, right? And why are the left protesting still every week? Like what's going on? So I think that's what's important to, to talk about um, because I don't think people I, I really don't think that people fully understand what's underlying the 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 what's happening in the country politically so let's start there so i'll start with the right-wing rally like why was there this right-wing rally which actually seems to have um attracted if you ask depending on which media outlet you ask between two uh, two hundred people to if you ask the organizers uh half a million people right so what attracted that amount of people to come out, and what, what, what was the point of that of that rally? Okay, so I, I would say the following: the people who came to that rally wanted to make a, a couple of points. Point number one: um, I think I th- this is by the way, Ruby and Johnny's going to say this because Johnny is very into like everybody has different motives, and there are a lot of things going on, and politically things are very complicated. So I would also say that the organizers had one message, the people had another message, you know, like they, they were, okay. So one stream was, we want to support the government and tell them that we're behind them. And, you know, like, as opposed to this idea that 
a minority of the people, quote unquote, meaning, you know, even though we have an elected government that was elected by a majority of the people, um, if another segment of society threatens to shut down the country, now we're going to kind of get rid of the government. It's not true government. We're behind you and we empower you. I think that was one statement. But I think it was... I think that the the that might have been important to people, but the fire that was lit under them wasn't to say we support the government. It was to say we are not Ezrahim Sugbet, which has become the catchphrase, which means we are not mm-hmm. second class citizens, right? And what's that about? The impression is that the people who are um, protesting the judicial reform are coming from a segment of society that is generally we discussed this already, but it's it's the liberal slash left elite of the country, um, more wealthy, more central, less periphery, less religious. Um, and there's a lot of pain from a lot more of white, more white. Exactly. Um, and there's a lot of pain from, for a lot of people who feel um, like, wh- why, why do I count less than you? And it's not just this argument. I voted for this government. This government has the right to govern. It's when I was in your position and I wasn't happy with what the government was doing. You told me that um, I had to be mamlachti, um, I had to be noble, I had to accept the government, all of that stuff, and I behaved. I behaved myself. And now I'm learning that when you're in a position where you don't like what the government does, you believe that you can basically just force impose your will upon the majority. What does that say about how what about me and 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 how much my vote matters? So I think, and again, it's it's because it's hitting. Um, segments of the population that feel alienated already. It's the periphery, it's Sephardim, it's Misorati Jews, um, it's religious Jews, it's um, some settler Jews, right? Um, and all those people are like, like what, what's going on here? So that's one reason that they came. Um, the second reason that they came, I think, is because they want some type of a judicial reform. And what their fear is, is that Bibi stepped back, and the truth is Bibi was never, you know, Mr. Judicial, judicial Reform. He doesn't need this headache, right? So they're afraid that, that like, what's going to happen is it's just never going to happen. The reform is just never going to happen. It's like Bibi capitulated, and now the reform is going to get buried, and there won't be any judicial reform. And they have a very, very strong bone to pick with the Supreme Court as it stands. They feel that the Supreme Court has... Um, well, it's part of the same thing. It's just essentially doing exactly that. It's, it's using it's it's a group of a minority group that's using its power in order to impose its will upon. No, they don't want to impose you know, their will. They want to they want what they were, they were trying to say is government. We're behind you. No, no. The Supreme Court is doing the same. Oh, thing. yes. They're yes, exactly. Exactly. Exactly the same thing. The Supreme Just, Court you know. is 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 imposing its will. Um, and again, the two issues with the Supreme Court are that they appoint themselves from within a very closed group. And two, that they um, that that they're. Measure is reasonableness, right? Again, because we don't have a constitution. So, like, it's so when you put those two things together, you you end up with a problem because no nobody argue like either you could have reasonableness as a as a as a as a yardstick, but you have different people who think different things are reasonable, or you can have you know a closed group, but a a mutually agreed upon set of um of of, of basic laws of you know like a, that you would have in a constitution. So. At this point, there's this sense that the Supreme Court has an unreasonable amount of power and that it's representing a perspective that is alien to, I would say, probably the the, the people who are protesting would probably say the majority of the country, if not half the country. 
And they would they want to curb that power. They want to curb the power of the Supreme Court. Now, that doesn't mean they're pro this particular judicial reform. Some of that may be yes, some may be not. But they, they, they want to make sure that there is some type of reform that goes through. Okay, now take me to the other side. Now, that was on Thursday night. Yeah. So then now you're traveling from Yushalayim to Kaplan Street in Tel Aviv. And you have, I don't know, however much, 100,000 people, 200,000 people, whatever it is. They're doing it. They're still protesting. Yes. What are they protesting about? Okay, so here I have to be more careful because it's not my people, right? Right. right. Again, it's the, not my clear. neighbors. Molly, uh, like Molly falls on the right side of the. I uh, fall on the right, right side. side. I do not go to any rallies. rallies. I do not believe in, in rallies. Well, you fall on, let's say, politically. Politically, I fall right. right I am a proud conservative. Yes. So, from your perspective, what are they? What, what okay. are they doing? So, from their from their perspective, I think. No, from your perspective, from my perspective of my understanding of what's happening, is. First of all, um, they actually have a very good leg to stand on when they say the current reform has pieces of it that are extremely dangerous and are and can undermine a democratic system. Again, the simplest one being the 61 uh, override clause, right? Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, that, that's it, so so th- th- that is a very good argument, right? So like they're out there and they're under the umbrella of like, this is a bad. This reform is terrible. So that's like you know level one. Okay, but underneath that, said, what's right, underneath we're not that? Not talking about okay. Just I okay. So from what I've heard, and again, I want to be fair. This is what I've heard, and it's coming through the filter of a person who's listening with ears that are more right wing. Okay, but the impression I get from speaking to various people, one of whom is on the faculty of Hebrew University, he says that he thinks people are really afraid that this right wing government is, first of all, they don't trust a word Bibi says, and they don't believe that he's an honest broker, and they don't believe that this government is an honest broker. So even though somebody says, okay, we'll compromise, they don't trust the man. They do not trust him. So they're like, um, we're going to keep protesting until like we see that everything's okay, because they, they, there's, there's zero, they have zero trust in the government. That's the first thing. Second of all, they are really afraid. They are really afraid that... Um, the the right wing powers and the ultra religious powers. By the way, the Haredim did not show up to this demonstration on purpose. Right, they were not there. Meaning they came in isolation, but the Rabbanim did not say come out. And the Haredim are right because they don't need to be the scapegoats and have more hatred piled on their heads. That you know, oh, it's all those Haredim out there in the streets. Wait, but you didn't finish the sentence. Okay. they're afraid. They're of- afraid that the religious. At, uh, and again, this could be either ultra orthodox Haredi or it could be religious Zion, extreme religious Zionists. You know, Ben Gavir Smutrich are going to um, basically either pass laws that are going to be completely antithetical to their worldview and hurt people, minorities, um, women, um, 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 LGBT, etc. And it's possible that they're actually afraid that they're going to come for their rights. They're afraid. They're afraid that their country is going to turn into a, um, I, I don't know what to call it, like an ultra-nationalist, ultra-religious, um, unrecognizable state. Meaning what they want is what they call democracy. And what the right, wa- right, what the right at their rally wants is what they call Medina Yehudit the Democratit, Right. Okay, now I want to add one more layer. Wait, wait, I, I have to be fair. I think you just left. I, I think, I really feel strongly that the left also wants a Medina Yehudit Democratit, but they don't want their Yahadut 
yes. to be imposed on them from for the outside. Sh- absolutely. That's, you're right. I didn't say that fairly. That, absolutely. They want their Judaism to be what they how they want to how they want to express their Judaism and they don't want it imposed on them from a different perspective okay I, I, okay. I, I agree with all that but Johnny wants to respond Wait, but can Johnny, I say one uh, more I'm sorry you absolutely can, can this, and then we'll go to Johnny one more thing which was just, was just an interesting point that I just want to share and I because I want to hear both of your takes on this okay so again this this came from a Dafka somebody who identifies as left wing and he said the following thing he said so both sides seem to be arguing we want democracy, right? Both sides are saying, um, you know, the right is saying we want democracy. You know, we voted this country in. And again, we want we, we, we you know, we also believe in democracy. And the left is saying we want democracy because we believe in democracy and we are, we're the democ- democracy people. You're the Jewish. You're the religious people. What he said is what, what people have to understand is that that not every group is using the word democracy in the same way. Okay, so when you look at the when you look at Megillat Ha'atzma'ut, right, Ben Gurion's declaration, when he describes democracy, he's talking about classical democracy, right, and he uses phrases like you know, as it says in the words of our prophets, he's talking about things that we all agree on: freedom, equality, dignity of man. But what this guy said, which I thought was interesting, was he said, and this is where Johnny's point about nuance comes in: not everybody, but there are some factions on the left. For whom democracy doesn't mean just democracy, but it's also a cover, not a cover, a catch-all phrase for progressivism. And so I think that there's also a, underneath at the very bottom, there's a, there's a culture war also going on. Because the people on the right, they're aware of that. And they're like, what you guys want are, are values that are very far to the left of our values. What we want is 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 to be proudly Jewish and religious in our state. And then the, the left looks at the right and says, what you want is is too far to the right for our values. You want to turn us all into handmaidens, right? Or handmaids or whatever it is. So there's a... You've really got to listen to this Micha Goodman thing. You really have to listen okay. to it. But anyway, anyway that's okay. it in a nutshell. Thank you. Molly, thank you very much. Johnny, respond. Okay, I want... Let me pick up on something that Molly said earlier on about how these decisions were held off for Pesach, which is true. But I also want to make reference to what took place last week, which is Yom HaZikoron, mm. because there was a tremendous amount of discussion in the media about how all these arguments were bubbling over and we need to just hold back. Yom HaZikoron is a sacred day, cemeteries are sacred places, and these conversations are not going to be had at the ceremony. Wait, wait, I have to correct you. The media tried to create a situation where people would protest in the cemeteries. The media was like really fanning the flames, hoping that there would be some kind of big protest. And what you're saying and what happened in the end was it didn't work out that way. The country didn't buy into it for once. Baruch Hashem. Well, the country almost entirely didn't. However, there were pockets where it was expressed. Yeah, but everybody and acknowledged that, told, by and large, it was a failure. They tried to have a protest on the night of Yom Ha'atzma'ut that everybody acknowledged was a failure. And by the way, you should know, I, I would like to see that as a statement of national unity. It happened to be that it, that was, and also the right took that as a sign also that, like, uh, you know, we're stronger than, we, we're okay. We're, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, the left is saying the country's falling apart and we totally disagree and we're going to, no, no, we're, we're all, it's all good. Like, our, our country is doing better than we think. And the majority of us feel united. And the majority of us feel connected. And 
therefore, I think they also felt it's appropriate for us, therefore, to come out and say, there's a whole bunch of us that, that actually don't think that this is the end of the country. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. let's go back to that's Johnny. Kind of let's go back to Johnny. Johnny. Okay, that's kind, that is kind of true. However, every formal speech given in every military cemetery in Israel referenced the sense of tension in the country and made clear that today is a day where we try and hold on to the unity. But the very fact that that became really the central theme, and, and I went to one, I heard a number, mm-hmm. makes it very clear that this certainly overshadowed at least the tone of the day, if not necessarily the appearance of the day. There was a strong wariness uh, of this as we went into Yom HaZikaron, uh, and that itself is important. So Pesach delayed things, but Yom HaZikaron was a, was a question. And it remained a question till you know Tishim or Tishim in in terms of figuring out how the country would adapt to the general moments where we do come together. That's point number one. Given all this, we've had this big, big hafgana, uh, the big protest in Jerusalem and, and, and other protests elsewhere. And as Mali said, a part of this obviously gets the roots of the issues relating to judicial reform, but uh, and the undercurrent of all of this are questions relating to values of identity and definitions of democracy. And but I just I want to point out why. How come this is happening now? Ironically, it's happening now precisely because even though the government looks like it's a bit chaotic, the government currently has greater stability than any of the last six governments or so we've had. The fear comes as a result of the fact that the government seems to have a measure of staying power that no prior government over the past certainly five years have had. So if I, things I would are only add, as is... I would only add, Johnny, as the polls indicate the Likud sliding in, in popularity, that only strengthens the government's staying power because it makes, the, it makes them more unwilling to topple the government because they know they'll be voted out. Precise. Well, the, as of now, you don't understand what I meant. What it's still true, it's just crazy. No, no, I agree. Politics. I agree entirely. As of now, that's why things are trying to be pushed because of that awareness. At the same time, in terms of the left, there's a real sense that these can be passed. These could be passed, mostly, if not all, and these could remain uh, part and parcel of uh, the the legislature for at least some meaningful amount of time. So this isn't just something which could be a fad and then be overtoned in a month. This is something which is considered to be a real window of opportunity which has been grabbed by some and others are petrified for. So let me just briefly speak of two things, one which we were discussing before we started recording and one uh, relating to Mali. But I'll start with what Mali was saying. The way I see it really is, you know, nowadays if you go to uh, even a doctor, before a doctor does anything to you, they have to check if it's okay, certainly if you have an operation. The left basically feel that they're having open heart operation and they don't have any control of what's happening to the heartbeat of who they are. It's petrifying. Uh, And truth be told, justifiably so, if you feel your values are being trampled on, you feel that democracy is being betrayed for religious uh, agenda, for right-wing agenda. The right are saying, betrayed for the past uh, couple of decades, a democracy, as we interpret it, has been betrayed by Supreme Court who have overstepped their boundary. So each have felt a sense of disempowerment and each are trying to assert their power. And, and the fault lines are very, very visible. Um, 
nevertheless, uh, we want to talk a little bit about religious Zionist community. Yeah, we'll get there in a second. Hold because on. Hold on a second. I want to finish the point, the broad, the broad strokes, because we're going to get to the religious Zionism in one second. So, so you want to okay. make, you want to stop so now? I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to pause now. Uh, okay. Pause now. So we'll stop here. Uh, we'll take a quick break because uh, this is RZ Weekly. This isn't uh, Judicial Reform Weekly, which I'm sure there is a podcast called Judicial Reform Weekly. Um, because what, what, what we want to drill down to is how, does, how is this judicial reform reflected in the religious Zionist community, in the rest of the Zionist community, if there is such a thing? With Johnny and Molly argue there is not such a thing. And what is it? What is the yeah, there is, but there is no. What is the no role? One base. What is the right. role? And I think it's incredibly significant and important of the religious Zionists in this discussion. And how does it reflect what's been happening to us as a community through these elections? So all of that mm. coming back right after this short break. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic that you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with a magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, we're back after that wonderful break. Um, so I, I would like to begin this discussion. You guys both had a chance, and I'm going to frame it, and then we'll turn to Johnny. Okay, so it's no secret that many in the religious Zionist community find the religious Zionism of Bitzalel Smotrich and Al-Achad Kama Vekama Itamar Benvir to be a bit much for them. I'm, gonna, I'm saying that in the, I'm trying, to, I'm trying not to use ex, uh, extreme language. They find it distasteful to say the least. And if you want, I can send you a video of the leaders, the Rabbanim, the Rosh Yeshiva of Haaretzion, talking about it in much, much, much more um, vivid and explicit language uh, with a level of distaste and disgust that they find just overwhelming. Okay, so that being said, it used to be that the religious, that the political party that represented, quote unquote, Sionut Datit, first it was called the Mafdal, Miflegat Tati along came Naftali Bennett, and he built this thing called the Bayit HaYehudi. It sounded great, Bayit HaYehudi, like it represents us. It was actually a brilliant marketing stroke. Unfortunately, Bennett learned or discovered or whatever that he could never become prime minister as the head of a sectarian party. So he branched off and created Yamina. Right? taking a, a bunch of people with him, leaving essentially the right wing, the, ex the more extreme uh, elements of the religious Zionist party as part of what you'd call Habayit HaYehudi. Now, interestingly, these people are like, we're not Habayit HaYehudi. We, we, we're not like, you know, of course we love all Jews, but that doesn't represent us. And so they rebranded. 
How did they rebrand? They called themselves Tzionutadatit, the religious Zionists. Now, I call myself a religious Zionist. I don't know if you guys do. I don't know how you think of yourself. I think of myself mm -hmm. as a religious Zionist. We are RZ Weekly. What? We are RZ Weekly. We are RZ Weekly, right? Most people don't even know what RZ stands for. Religious Zionism, okay? I know what's me, like, so, so what Bethalus Smotrich did when he rebranded his party to the name of my, my identity, like, imagine, like, if you're a Haredi and somebody comes along and says, we're the Haredi party, but you're not Haredi. No, no, we're the Haredi party. So that, 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 that makes you sort of, on the one hand, recoil, but on the other hand, he's sort of stealing your identity. So you're like, I don't want to be that. Any, I, that's not me. That doesn't, you don't speak for me. It's almost like, you know, it's so interesting. Like, I think of an equivalent. Like, you know, people in NYU are like, we're not modern Orthodox. We're centrist Orthodox. Why? Because somebody stole modern Orthodox from us. I don't want to be identified with that. I want to be something else. Okay? It's exactly that. Someone came along and said, I am what you call yourself. And I was like, no, you're not. You're not. That's, I'm not you. But everybody now looks at me and says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's you. You know, that your poster child is Bezala Smotrich. Now, I agree with Smotrich on a lot of things. I disagree with him on a lot of things. And I certainly disagree with him on the way, the way he speaks and his tactics and, and a lot of the, the, the way he presents himself. So now what do I do when a person steals my identity, becomes a political party in the name of my, of my ideology and my identity? Well, how, how do I respond to that? It's a very, very complicated question, which I think... I haven't really seen people think about or discuss or talk about what happened to the, I would say, how do you say matun, to the moderate religious Zionist community. And you know what happened to them? They started going to the protests in Kaplan and Tel Aviv. A lot of them. What's interesting to note is that the, that the, that the, um, the left wing, since the beginning, one of the things they tried to do and successfully did was draw people from the religious communities to be a part of their protests. They did not want it to be only a secular left-wing protest. And they were, success they were successful in drawing, I don't know how many, but not insignificant numbers of religious Zionists. There's no Haredim at the protest, right? Now, kippah wearing, knitted kippah wearing Jews who come after Shabbat. And for a period of time, they were even like, they would only start after Shabbat to make sure that those people came. And to a large degree, those people's presence gives them a tremendous amount of legitimacy. Now it's no longer left-right, it's anti-reform. So I, I wanna, I'm going to ask two questions, and we're going to start with Johnny. I'll ask one question. The first question is, Johnny, um, why are these religious people, in your mind, they're religious, right? They, if they're... And of course, there are left-wing religious Zionist people. That's without a doubt. There are people who are politically left who are going to be against. But ostensibly, you know, some of the things that the left-wing is about, they're disagreeing with. They don't agree with. They're religious people. They're not, in, they're not in favor of, especially the radical left. You would think that they would have a more, the group en masse, would have a more natural um, um, leaning towards the right, as we see. So why are these people going to these protests? What are they expressing when they join the anti uh, judicial reform group and actually prep it up and support it and might even be the, the group that, that, that's giving it its strength and its power. Okay. You know, I, I thought I was going to say one thing, but as you reached the annual question, I, I remembered a podcast we did, I think probably about a year, year and a half ago, 
there was some survey that came out about what were the most important values for religious Zionists. And we would have thought it's kind of religious values. But uh, this report made it quite clear that economics is a pretty important uh, consideration for modern religious Zionists, sometimes above and beyond specific religious uh, sensitivities. Meaning, you can be a religious Zionist and you are personally sensitive to certain religious practices, but when it comes down to it, choices are made with a broader consideration, not just for your religious identity, but for economics, for certain uh, more universal values, democracy, etc. You, you describe uh, the Kipasu wearing religious Zionists and why are they going to these protests. First and foremost, where are they? Maybe not on Shabbat, of course, but uh, on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, most are in offices. You know, most of them are doing work. They're in hospitals. They're, <laughs> they're having conversations with people more to the right and more to the left. And actually, as we know, in, in recent months, there's been some significant questions asked about the economic impact of these judicial reforms. Now, I'm not an economist, but what I can say is those questions have been substantially raised. Uh, it's led to uncertainty uh, in terms of future investments, etc. So if you occupy a guy wearing, let's say, Tel Aviv working financier who shares an office with a range of people more right-wing, more left-wing, you may actually say, you know, I don't entirely agree with the the Hafganan uh, Kaplan, and I certainly don't agree with the Hafganat Million in Jerusalem. But if I had to pick the two, in terms of the stability of this country, as somebody who's looking through the prism of not just values but also economics, I may well stand in, in, in Kaplan. Again, uh, it wasn't necessarily what I was initially going to say, but fundamentally, we've spoken about this before, and I'm not so sure that that's entirely incorrect because there are a range of issues with religious reforms being only one of them. Okay, it's I, the impact I, I want to focus on this one question. The government's going. I want to focus on this one question. Mali, I'd like you to answer that question. In your mind, why are these people going to these protests? We're going to come back to the second question in a minute, Johnny. Okay, so I, I think what you're saying is, is sort of interesting, like you're, you know, where you're leading us because I think there are some who actually feel the same way as like it's not a it's, it's not a religious secular issue it's a it's a question of democracy and they actually really feel mm -hmm. very very strongly that that on this issue the anti-reform is correct they are actually anti-reform and that's why they go i think there's a group like that is definitely a group like that Absolutely. yeah i think johnny's also right that there are people I, I see it. I see it less as an economic issue, but they're sensitive to their peers, like they're talking to their chiloni um, or or wh whatever, wh whoever um, is in their work environment or community environment, and recognize the fears of the of that. I don't want to say left, right? I want to say the anti-reform, and they are convinced that. Um, and therefore, they have been convinced to be not been convinced in a negative way, in a positive way. They therefore are against the government because they feel the government is. Um, it, it, and this actually does lead to your point, Ruby, because this is actually what you, want me, what you want me to say. They are convinced that this. I don't know what I want you to say. I want you to say what you think. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I think. They are I convinced <laughs> that this government is actually um, very bad. It's like ethically meaning. A that they're they're afraid that the, that these that, that the government is doing ethically bad things, 
But underneath that is a sense that the government is representing them wrongly, right? Ah. Meaning, right. No, that's, so that's not what I think. That's not what I'm going to say. I think that they agree with the fears of the left wing, the left, the anti-reform protest. I think they don't want the religious country that they think that the religious Zionist party wants to build. They don't want a Medina right. Halakha. They don't want an imposition right. of religious Correct. values on other people. They want people to choose the Judaism that they want to right. have. But that's what I and mean. I think that they're joining the yeah. protest specifically because they're religious Zionists. They want the country to be a Jewish Israel, but they're afraid of the vision that especially the Haredim will impose and everybody else will go along, you know. Yeah. And by the way, you're right. It's not that. just the Haredim. It's, it's, it could be even more the um, extreme Right, as you said, who have co-opted that you can say that they're Khardal, or you can just say that they're extreme right wing, they're extremely nationalist, but the, the extremists who have co-opted the name religious Zion, Noam, whatever you want to call it, they're, they don't want that. They, they're against that, as you say, not despite the fact that they're religious Zionists, but because they are religious Zionists. Because they have a okay. different vision of what religious Zionism is. Good. I, that, that, I, I, I really feel that. And I think it's, mm-hmm. I, I think it's in a really an important point. Because, well, I'll come back to why it's an important point in a second. Uh, Johnny, do you agree with my, my thesis that Pizzalo Smotrich stole the identity of religious Zionism from, I'm not going to say you, but from a significant group of people? I agree that that's how many people feel it, and I agree that he probably thinks he saved it. I mean, that's the key thing. It's, I, I, I don't espouse, align myself with the tone and much the content of what he presents to be religious zionism as i've said really since we've been recording this podcast there are many religious zionisms uh you know when people talk about different religious zionists we talk about these differences you know what they're reflected in the different communities us three live in different communities with a different feel a different tone whatever for good and for bad uh so uh, there are many people who feel that he stole it and he probably thinks that he saved it from this ambiguity, from this blending of progressive values. He's trying to stand up for true religious Zionism, which has been diluted over years. I don't, I'm not just simply saying this. You recall the kind of meetings he had with Rav Druckmann and the kind of uh, way in which this was giving almost an endorsement, the, the, you know, the Zakin, the elder of religious Zionism, he's since passed away. But this is how it was presented in the in the national media and the local media, as if uh, this is what's taking place. Obviously, uh, Itamar Bengvil slightly differently. Uh, but I th- yes, it's right to use that language. Um, however, because I believe that religious Zionism comes in different stripes, um, Though it's agitating and frustrating for people to think that that is representative of me, I say no, because there are many different conservatives, there are many different religious Zionists, there are many different liberals. And if you are a grown up, truth be told, if you recognize that different uh, phrases can mean different things uh, and are, are expressed in different shades, you kind of say, well, I don't like what he did, but it doesn't dent me being proud to be who I am precisely because that banner is bigger than any one person or any one party. So, so Molly, I'll ask you the exact same question, but I'll frame it in this way. Uh, as uh, we mentioned before, uh, I work for Herzog College and uh, Johnny's giving class at Herzog College. I, you know, we, 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 do, we are a religious Zionist or institution and very proudly so. 
and we were in a meeting with someone who does marketing and that person changed the language of our marketing because she was afraid that using the term religious Zionist, capital R, capital Z, would turn off a significant portion of people. And she said, she said, we are religious and Zionist, meaning she was careful that we shouldn't use the term religious Zionist for fear of alienating people who would identify us and then want, you know, as something that we're not and not want to either associate with us or use our courses or what have you. So I'll ask all of you in this way. If you were invited uh, you know, to be a Scotland residence, which you should be, everybody should call Molly and have her be a Scotland residence in your shul. Yeah, Thank I you, don't right? want to go anywhere, but okay. Thank you. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> who knows me knows that I just want to stay at home and hang out. Right. Anyway. And somebody, and so, and they're introducing you. And Molly, Bra- Rabbi Molly Bravsky is a thought leader in the religious Zionist community. Are you proud or are you, hmm? Wondering what the crowd is thinking. Right. Okay. So I would say, here's my answer. I think on a personal level, Johnny's right. I think we have to be adults. And I think we have to um, not allow our, allow other people to shake our, to shake us into insecurity. Like, I am a proud religious Zionist, according to the definition of what I believe religious Zionism is. That being said... I think that it's it's also true that the phrase has been, I agree with you, stolen, co-opted, and it now represents something on the national stage that is not what I wanted to represent. And I and I think um, re- many religious Zionists want to take it back, right? And they're, meaning we want to take back our name. Uh, apparently, maybe one of you had seen it, but a rough stab, I think, wrote a wrote a wrote a piece saying like we got here because we didn't fill the gap right like we religious zionists who identify religious zionism the way we we identify it have not managed to do what we we, there was a vacuum we didn't fill it so smutrich did so i think that therefore what i would like to see happen is for religious zionism to take back its true mantle now that's hard it's and I, I think the analogy to centrist, modern orthodoxy is very apt because when you hold a complex position that's not extreme, that's not easy to put into um, slogans, um, you know, mm-hmm. that that um, has in, in moderate elements. That, in a world that leans specifically towards yes. more extremist Correct. views. It's why, it's, why, it's why complex politicians can't survive in politics. It's the same reason, right? So... It's very. It's going to be hard to take back that it, we haven't been able to do it, right? That's what we talked about. We've talked on this podcast many times about the like what's happened to the religious Zionist party and why isn't it powerful? It's very hard to to translate religious Zionism into a um, certainly a political governmental body. Um, not not to mention that it's also hard to explain religious Zionism as a lifestyle and it's those are two different things also right so i would like us to try to take it back um and actually now that we're talking about it, it makes me think about the rubs um uh when uh, the rubs um speeches at the bizrahi conference where he where like this he was talking about how we have to play the political game but we have to do it at, with like like we, we have to look like the malachim up up there meaning we have to get our hands dirty but we also have to not sacrifice our 
our um, ethical and religious principles. That's nearly impossible. And yet, (laughs) so is being Dati Lumi, right? Or centrist orthodox or whatever, right? It's nearly impossible, which is always the argument, the complaint. It's too hard. None of us can do it. None of you can do it. You see that the community is going to the right, going to the left. And my answer is just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not correct. Um, and I say the same thing about religious Zionism. But th- the problem is that that somebody else is running around waving their flag, calling themselves something that and, and, and telling the world that that's what I am. That's bad for two reasons. One, because... I think that what they're selling is bad. And the other reason is because I think what I'm selling is, bu- is good and they don't know what I'm selling. So, so I, you know, I've been frustrated by this point. The more I think about it, the more I like, I, I guess it has to be clapé pnim against myself, but also mostly, I guess, against the, the I would say the leadership of this moderate, um, moderate, a religious Zionist community. It's one thing to get up and complain in a meeting, in a closed meeting, and have that video come out. But like, I think about what you said, Johnny, we're a bunch of communities. But the answer is no. You, you can't do that. Because if you allow yourself to d- diffuse over communities that really don't share a, a central a core value that they're going to be willing to fight for, then your identity means nothing. So if you, you have to pick. You have to pick a term. But if you say, no, to be tzionidati means not to be open, to be by Yehudi, to have, to have a complex set of values, you have to fight for those values. And therefore, you can't say, well, it's good that some people are in Likud, and it's good that some people are in, are in you know, Tzionud Datit, and we should spread ourselves out because we don't reflect anything specific. And we've been saying that so long that we no longer have any power at all. And in Israel, power is reflected specifically in politics. It's reflected in politics because that gives you budgets, and that gives you power. And if you sit in the middle, really, if religious Zionists would sit in the middle and would say, you know, sometimes we'll go left and sometimes we'll go right because we'll do what we think is best for the religious future of this, uh, of this country. That could be a tremendous sense of power if people would, if we, if we would say, this is our identity and we're willing to stand up and fight for it. But if all we're saying is, well, we're complex and we accept everyone and, you know, we represent a lot of different ideologies, then of course you're going you're gonna to fail and you're going to end up just complaining about it and not having any power at all, which is exactly where we find ourselves. So I guess it's clape pnim, but I find myself just very much frustrated by, by a leadership that allowed it to happen, watched it happen, and has done nothing about and it. And I want to say one more thing of what you said. There are people who actually agree with you and that's why they voted for Smutrich, right? They didn't know what he believed in it. They didn't care what he believed in, also Ben Gvir. But they were like, I'm religious Zionist. I'm going to vote for the religious Zionist party. And what do we say about them? We had nobody to vote for. We, criti- Ooh, right. we criticized. Well, nobody what, to right. vote for. Right. But I'm saying when, when my friends told me, don't tell anybody, but I actually did vote for Smotrich, right? Um, what was their reason? Exactly what you're saying. They were like, they're the religious Zionist party. I'm a religious Zionist. I'm going to vote for them. And yet the three of us would be, are like horrified. We would never vote for, for that party. Right, but they're doing exactly what you what you just said to do for that very reason, not because they agree with those with that philosophy, but because they want to have a strong, uh, you know, strong religious Zionist um, state, uh, you know, whatever group. However, the problem is that, you know, they're also just doing a bad job. So probably better that they, you know, wouldn't have, like I don't know what those people now think when they look at look at <laughs> you know the monster they've created, Johnny. Well, going back to that, of course, many people may well point to Matan Kahana and say Mm. he reflects a more liberal religious Zionist voice. But however, he operated 
within a, a wider party which confused from the outside in many ways the, the clarity for which he himself spoke uh, but that made it a really really difficult decision to vote uh, uh, for him because you weren't just voting for him you spoke Ruby mentioned about different uh, responses there have been a few you probably saw that book by by Rabbi Dr. Ido Pachta that came out in Rishon. personally I was underwhelmed but Nevertheless, that, was a, that was a religious. Problem, that was a religious document. It had nothing to do with politics and identity. It was a. It was. A, I would say it was a left-wing religious document more than anything. But okay, go ahead. It was it had nothing to do with right with us with asserting Jewish identity in this state. It had nothing to do with that. But the key. Why? Why do I mention that? Because it's written by one guy, right? And the inability to achieve consensus uh, within the more liberal religious Zionist camp is part and parcel of this failing. Ultimately, as you say, politics is about, I mean, democracy is about consensus. You, you know why? Because they, all, they argue about these, these, these issues on the fringes of how open should it be of this issue and not about that issue, as opposed to talking about core issues of how do we see the future of the state? Who do we want to have in power? To what degree do we want religion to be a core part of our identity and the, and the way that we decide things? Which was, uh, we, we, they don't talk about those things. They don't talk about core issues. We fight about, you know, do LGBT rights and women's issues, which are not unimportant. But in the broader scale, in the broader scheme of things in the country today, they're really not so important. They're, they're, they're less significant. So that I didn't agree with it, but but it didn't talk to me. We didn't talk about anything that was important to me, you know, because it's not it's not where we are right now. We don't need that booklet right now. You know, if he, if he was writing a booklet, putting out from Nehemiah to Rabbi Avodah, why didn't they write about what's the role of religious Zionism in a state? Why would they start with, like, why is he writing about all these side things that are nice, but, you know, I disagree with him, but it's just not relevant to us. That's what I felt about that booklet that he wrote. And when have you last seen anyone in the religious Zionist community writing about these things? What's the role of religion in the state? How do I want to see a state? How do we make the state more Jewish with more choice? No, I see, I see we, a lot, like, but the individual It's a difficult speaks, uh, question. Should we impose our will on non-religious people? Because we do. You know, right. there's a, these are core issues uh, that uh, nobody talks about. No, no, I think people do talk about, as I say, but I don't see consensus right. on these issues. And the point is, something like in the Be'ilel kind of WhatsApp groups, everyone has a different opinion. But what, the lack of consensus means, as you say, the big issues, right, are overlooked and the small issues are fought for. The problem is, this is a big issue. There are big issues. And, and if within these micro camps, there can't be some measure of flexibility for the sake of consensus, then fundamentally it's ridiculous to presume that in a kind of political religious camps different to your own, you should demand that of them. <laughs> Meaning that's, uh, and this is something that was uh, discussed in this Mizrahi Congress I attended last week. This is a frustrating issue. If within certain groups we cannot show sufficient flexibility to reach agreement, and this then it's I lost you. What are you talking about? It was in specific group. What, what specifically you're talking about? I'm not clear. I, I mean, but in, in terms of more, more liberal thinking, religious Zionists, I mean, basically, all those others who didn't vote for Smotrich, how come they're not quite as strong as a, as a Migzal? Although, you know, I don't particularly like uh, uh, this overemphasis on Migzal. Nevertheless, it's because of this lack of consensus. Okay. My, I would only argue, and this would be my final point, that Smotrich, in pushing these people out, 
in not creating a wider tent. And he would argue, what do you mean? We had, uh, we had uh, whatever, we had primaries, anybody could have run, give me a break. And pushing these people out and kowtowing to the Chardal, I argue, I feel, that in a large part, he pushed these people to join these protests. And in doing so, he enabled his inability to achieve his goals in the government. I, I think that that's, it's short-sighted, he's more powerful, but in the long term, maybe it wasn't such a good move. Just, that's, my, uh, that, that's my thinking on the issue. Okay, anybody, Molly, you want to respond? Or like, no, you have anything I, else yeah, to listen, add? I, uh, I, I hope that, listen, what we have seen is that this government is a giant wasted opportunity because the people in, who have been in the government have been completely incompetent. So when the incompetent people are people who I don't agree with, I'm not upset. Good, be incompetent, <laughs> Smotrich, you know, be in a, I mean, I don't love that your national embarrassment and your Hebrew has become like a joke among, you know, your English has become like a meme. But like, okay, then there's something to what you're saying. I just want to say one more thing, which is just in terms of the unity issue, which is... Just, okay, before you get to unity, yeah. I, would, I would add, I, I wrote a Facebook post about this that was not controversial, so nobody really saw it. But <laughs> people, welcome to social media. People don't realize that the real important work of government is done yeah, I, I behind the scenes in the trenches. It's done with budgets. Mm -hmm. It's done with policy. It's done with you know implementing decisions by ministers. So the thing I pointed to was, you know, everybody wants to change the law about the choka, about the about the seifa nechet, and we we've had whole we had a whole podcast about the seifa nechet. It, it's politically almost impossible to do because it alienates the Americans for reasons that are not clear to me. It doesn't matter. It's politically impossible to do. But like in the article that I shared, you saw that with this simple ministerial decision, you can sort of turn off the spigot just without having to change anything. So in a sense, like I sort of feel like I agree with a lot of the agenda of what the Religious Zionist Party wants to accomplish. I agree with a lot of it, but I don't agree with how they're saying anything. So my, like my, my desire is just like, don't pass any laws. Don't say anything. Pass a budget. And let the government do the, do the, let the bureaucrats do the work of managing the country. And, and a lot of great things will be done over the next four years. My great fear is that they'll just blow the whole thing up and, and really and destroy an incredible chance of doing things, building roads in Yudava Shomron, completing the highway to Gush Etzion that are critical, that will have tremendous long-term impact on, uh, on, on the country, on the future of the country. Okay, you want to say something about unity? I think, I think it's an important, like... No, it's really important. And the truth is, my fear is um, more the ideological, which is we have all... We just spent so many years rebuilding our currency that... Judaism is derecha darchi noam, and that that it's it's not just you know it's something that that everybody wants to connect to right. The day after the elections, the the, the labor which had fallen apart was like it's because we didn't emphasize Judaism enough, and we just took all that credit, and we are potentially throwing it away, and that breaks my heart. That just breaks my heart. Um, that's that's my biggest concern. Is that like so many years and so many tears and, and, and so much pain um, and we're basically going to make you know religion ugly again and that's just heartbreaking but I do want to say something positive which is my father's here um, visiting so I, I got to see Yom HaZikaron and Yom Atzma'ut through his eyes um, and it was really fascinating because he's also following all the judicial reform or whatever and he came out he sees what we take for granted Right? He's like, well, I, I don't understand. Like, 
this country is so unified. This country, everybody feels like brothers. He's like, I'm not worried about you guys. You guys are awesome. Everything's great. I've I've never I, you know he says in America it's a totally different world now there the factions and every everything's emphasizing the differences between people and here with with you know breaks but you know Johnny I could flip what you said the other way and say the fact that every single person who got up to speak from the Ramadkal to to the Sarah Chinuch to the president over all the Yom Ha'atzma'ut celebrations or Yom Zikaron, all of them said ki, the phrase that came out was ki anashim achim anachnu, and the majority of the public responds to that. Not everybody; there are the, there are people on the extreme, but the majority of the public is like, yes, that's what I want to hear, and that's what I want to celebrate. To me, that's the eternal hope. You know, odlo avda tikvatenu. Thanks. Johnny, you want to you add something to that? I'll just briefly add something, only because, as you guys know, I live a little bit more in the south than, than you both. And as you also probably Oof. know, there were quite a few rockets mm, yeah. uh, to date, not quite yet reaching me, but we feel the tension, you know, ready at any time to, uh, to hear a siren. And we use the word sugbet. Fundamentally, the whole question is, you can achieve unity if if everybody sees themselves as being within the same framework of sug, people, for example, in the South often feel their sug bet. Not to do with by their religious opinions or even political opinions. Just like mm-hmm. if we are secondary in terms of investment and consideration, then you're going to feel that the country is fractured because we feel that's how it is. What needs to be done, it goes back to Ruby's point, is it's the day to day. Right? It's making sure that the citizens who are living further south, the citizens, you know, every Yoma Shoah, we always talk about Holocaust survivors who can't pay their bills, you know, that's always in the news. The citizens who can't afford their bills. If we deal with the job of governance well, if we do go out to bat for all citizens well, then most citizens will say, you know, I don't love this government because who the heck at the moment is loving their government in the world? But overall, I see that it's going out to bat for me. And that's what, And so I mentioned the rockets not to do with that, to do with the reforms, but that's a trigger for people around here. Like, are you, are you caring? Is this, is this a headline or is it just like 12 on the Johnny, list? Johnny, al- along those notes, they raised the price of milk here, which is a huge deal for a lot of people. You know, and they're, right. you know, you know, it's one thing, like, These every, everyone's things. like, everyone's like, you know, Fine, judicial reform, but what are you doing about that? My kid can't afford an apartment. Like that yeah. affects me a That's lot. That's why more. I mentioned the financial things. Yeah. The, the, we shouldn't ignore the economic dimension and how people are reading what's taking place vis a vis their financial stability. Because what many people don't realize, although perhaps they do, is many citizens here in Israel live on a financial knife edge. So one small change, milk. It's a disaster. It's not something that people can absorb, right? One small change in terms of interest rate going up, it's a disaster because people are being paid in tiddly amounts of money per the hour and the costs of certain things are really high. This is not to say that what we described isn't important. It's crucial. But the prism from which many citizens are looking through this issue, some are to do with the government and the Supreme Court, some are to do with them, their home, their kids, their future, and... I think all of it's a part and parcel of the, the trillion pot of the considerations. But the more there is a sense that we're all the same sug, which happens on Yom Azikoron, but it needs to happen the day after and the week after, etc., the more that we'll be able to change the tone 
uh, and reduce the the aggression towards recognizing ultimately, like Mani said, see, is it, I just want to, I want to, John, usually I let you finish, but I want to, I think the rocket point, it cannot be overlooked because uh, it, it is connected to Yom Hazikaron. Because in the end, in this country, and, and it's not the same in America, no matter what we do to divide ourselves, it's impossible to forget that we have enemies around us that don't care. They could care less about judicial reform or right or left. They want to destroy all of us. And, and be- but they're seizing the opportunity, well, as we again, know. Of- again, but because of that, I think like what your father, Molly, felt is that because of the neighborhood in which we live, that we're constantly reminded about it. Yes, the political passions are great, but it's so prevalent and so part and parcel of who we are that it's impossible to forget. And if we forget... Then they shoot some rockets at us and it reminds us that left, right, doesn't matter whether you went to this protest or that protest, they're still shooting at you. And I think that that's something that we forget sometimes to, re- to remind ourselves that, that in the end, it's our brothers who are being shot at no matter where they are at. And, and, bec- and that's something that I think was so prevalent on Yom, ha- Yom HaZikaron. That's why the country didn't buy the protest on Yom HaZikaron. Because in the end, deep down, they understood that the things that unite us are, are, are more important here than the things that divide us. That, that was a feeling that I, that I have mm-hmm. and that I continue to have. And that I think that Jews who are not here and don't feel it, and they don't hear about the rockets, and even if they see it in the times of Israel, it's not present. I think they don't understand how powerful that sense and that feeling really is. Okay, we'll stop here. We've gone a long time. I actually want to thank you guys, Molly and Johnny, for talking about this. It's an important issue for me. I hope the discussion went in a way that, you're, that you were comfortable with. And uh, yep. I want to thank our listeners. If you have comments or, or, or thoughts you want to share with us, please do. People share with us on, on the Facebook all the time. And we can be found on the WhatsApp and, and other social media as well. I want to thank Rabbi Molly Brevsky, Rabbi Johnny Solomon, my son, for the music. And thank all our listeners. If you're an RZ Weekly listener and you're like, hey, I think other people would like this, do us a favor. Share it with your friends. Share it on the social media so that other people can become RZ listeners as well. Have a great week, everybody. Bye now.